Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Let me get into the Word this morning. We have covered three of the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, gluttony. Today we're going to look at one of the most dangerous and explosive of the seven deadly sins, which is none other than anger. Anger. Anybody in here ever get angry? You know, Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military leaders in the history of the world. By the time of his death, he had conquered uh, most of the known world. He probably held more power in his hands than any other human being ever has. And did you know he died one month short of his 33rd birthday? Turns out he was pretty smart, too. He had a private tutor whose name was Aristotle. Aristotle Johnson. Lived over, came out of New Jersey. But the real Aristotle, man, that's impressive, right? And yet for all of his greatness, he had some issues in his life, for sure. One night, not long before his death, he had... This huge party with uh, many of his closest friends and some of his greatest generals to celebrate a recent military victory. And at this party was his absolute lifelong best friend and who happened to be one of his very best generals also. His name was Clytus. And he and Alexander had been drinking to the point of drunkenness. Well, Clytus said something that made Alexander angry, so Alexander made some snide comment back, and then Clytus snapped back at Alexander, who was not used to this, and he's drunk, and people do crazy, stupid things when they're drunk, right? He picked up a spear, and he ran it right through the heart of his very best friend. And after the anger had dissipated and he began to sober up, historians say that Alexander the Great was borderline hysterical. For the next weeks into months, it was reported that he did nothing but cry and mourn and he could not be consoled. At one point, he exclaimed, he said, I've conquered the entire world, but I cannot even conquer my own soul. So as soon as Alexander lost control of his anger, it caused him to commit this horrible, horrible act that he immediately regretted. Does anyone know anything about that in your life? When we lose control of our anger, we oftentimes we do things, we say things that we regret forever. Things that not only hurt others, but oftentimes hurt ourselves. And that is why anger is on this list of the seven deadly sins. I want us to begin by reading from Matthew, the fifth chapter, where Jesus is preaching the most famous and endearing sermon ever preached. We refer to it as what? The Sermon on the Mount. It's right at the beginning, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which would seem to, uh, I think, stress the importance of what Jesus was trying to convey to us. In verse 21, Jesus says this, You have heard that the law of Moses says, Do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, when he said that, I'm just going to guess that there were probably some people sitting out there that maybe thought to themselves, well, no kidding. If I kill somebody, I'm going to be judged. Man, I hope this guy has something a little more profound to say than this. 
I'm just thinking someone might have had that thought. And probably as they were thinking that, then Jesus slammed them right between the eyes with his next statement. He said, but I say that if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now what Jesus has done here is that he's told them that if, if they kill someone, they're going to be judged for murder. But he says, if they become angry with someone, they're going to be held to that same judgment. That's, wow, that's pretty rough, right? And he goes on to tell them, if you read more, if you call someone a name, you're in danger of being brought before the high council. And if they curse at someone, they're, they're literally in dangers of the fires of hell. This is in this sermon. I think Jesus is telling all of us here that if we want to be followers of him, we are going to have to take our lives to a higher level than just the status quo. But why would Jesus put anger on this same plateau as murder? Because on the surface, it, does, it seems a little extreme, right? Hello? Let's face it, it seems a little extreme. Well, I'm sure that Jesus knew that anger was this very volatile sin that would uh, oftentimes lead to horrible acts, even murder, but also consider this. We are placed as Christians, we're placed on this earth to be witnesses for Christ. Amen? How effective are you able to witness to somebody that you are angry with? Can you do that at all? When you first read through this list of seven deadly sins, you know, a lot of them don't sound all that appalling or dangerous on the surface. Pride, envy, you know, gluttony, greed, slothfulness, lust. But Jesus knows that when any of these things are in our heart and they are not dealt with, that it's only a matter of time before something very catastrophic can happen in our life. I would venture to guess today that the vast majority of people sitting in prison for murder, most of them probably never in their wildest dreams growing up did they think, one day I'm probably going to kill somebody. Most of them. And I think you can, you can take it to the bank that if you allow any of these seven deadly sins into your life and allow them to go unchecked, they will always lead you into something that you never dreamt you were capable of doing. The thing that makes anger so dangerous is that it destroys us from the inside out. Here's the thing, as much as anger hurts the person that it's directed at, it hurts the person harboring the anger as much and sometimes even more. It was Mark Twain, Mark Twain said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it's stored than to anything on which it's poured. Pretty deep statement, right? So the bottom line, I think, is if we can't deal with our anger, ultimately, we are going to pay a very great price. We're going to cause ourselves pain in social areas. People don't want to be around angry people. And anger even will cause us a lot of times physical pain. Anybody know about that? I've done some stupid things in my life out of anger that caused me 
pain. I was playing in a basketball league one time. I went up for a shot, and a guy just hammered me, and there was no call. Can you imagine how terrible that was? I had no choice but to get that basketball and show that referee what I thought. And I mean, I slammed that basketball down. The problem is, it came right back up, hit me right on the end of this little finger, and this little finger was just sticking out like this. And to this day, you see this hand? See how that little finger just lines up so nice along there? Look at this one. That's as good as it gets. The only good that came out of that is I can hit an octave on the piano like super easy because that... Without even stretching. Who else has just done something stupid out of anger and caused yourself some real pain? It's easy to do, isn't it? Eventually, our anger will cause serious damage to our overall health. Anger leads to high blood pressure, ulcers, heart problems, all sorts of things in our life. And the other ugly truth is this. When we have this unresolved anger inside of us, it makes us miserable. An angry person is never joyful. They cannot coexist together. They are polar opposites. An angry person is never a happy person. Now, I want you to pay attention for a minute here. I have a sneaking hunch that there's at least one person, maybe more here today, that you're just very angry at, at some specific person or a very particular situation. You're angry at your boss. You're angry about your job. You're angry over some particular situation or at a friend. You're angry at, a, at your spouse. You might even have a pretty good reason for being angry. But whatever the case, you, you're just angry and you have not been letting it go. On the other hand, there may be someone here today, you're not really angry at any one particular thing, you're just angry about everything. You don't even know exactly why a lot of times. All you know is you're just, you constantly seem to be angry about something. You're constantly losing your temper and everyone around you knows it and so whenever people are around you, whether you realize it or not, they feel like they have to walk on eggshells when they're around because, you know, they don't want to activate the volcano, so to speak. Now, if you're not like that, how many of you know someone like that? God did something inside of us. It's important to know and for us to be aware of that God never intended any of us to be completely without the emotion of anger. If he meant for that to be, he wouldn't have created and placed in us the emotion of anger. But he put this emotion within us for a very good and spiritual reason. Anger is supposed to help us respond to injustice in a positive way in our life. What does that mean? Someone said there's nothing like a good dose of anger over something that's wrong to get us pumped up to do something that's right. That's what anger is supposed to motivate us to do, to, do to, to help correct injustice, to do something right or godly. Jesus got angry about a few things, but he did not sin. That's the key. It's how we respond, express how we deal with anger in our life that's going to determine whether that anger 
was used for good or if it was used for bad. Whether it's a healthy anger or if it's a sinful anger. You know that guy named Aristotle who was pretty smart. He, he, said, uh, he said this uh, about anger. He said, anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to become angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. You know that to be true, right? It's not easy, but it is possible. So this morning, I want us to look at the five most common ways that we tend to respond to our anger. The first way, and the, one of the easiest ways to respond to anger, and probably the most popular way to respond to anger, is we satisfy it. We determine to satisfy our anger. What does that mean? We satisfy it. In a nutshell, it means this. We don't get mad. We get, oh, you've been there, huh? That's satisfying the anger. We get revenge. We want revenge. They say something bad about me, I say something bad about them. They take something from me, I take something from them. They hit us, we hit them. They kill one of ours, we kill two of theirs. I'm sorry, I got a little excited. That's for... <laughs> That's a little scene from The Godfather. I don't know if you've ever seen that. People get a little excited in that movie. <laughs> but you get the idea, right? I want to go on record, I have never killed anybody. But here's the big problem with trying to satisfy our anger. When we do that, we leave no room for God whatsoever. We put ourselves in charge. We push God right out of the picture. Romans 12, 19. Let me read it. Do not take vengeance, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You've all heard that portion of Scripture, right? So we're going to come back to this in, in a minute, but uh, I want, let me make this point. Vengeance does not make us feel better for very long. It's a very short-lived satisfaction. Maybe for a fleeting moment, but ultimately, vengeance only makes us feel worse, and it brings the situation of conflict to a whole new level. The unchecked anger and the need for revenge, it only creates this uh, cycle of violence and destruction in our lives. So we can satisfy our anger for a moment, but that is not going to be good enough. The second way we respond to anger is sometimes we express it. Anyone ever express your anger? Someone does something horrible, horrible to you. You, begin, you get very angry. And then you say, you say to them, you said, now look what you have done. I am very upset. Shame on you. Now, this is, this is when we express it, this is where we don't necessarily get revenge, but we're going to let them have a piece of our mind. You been there? Most of us cannot afford to do that very often. Give anybody a piece of our mind. There's just not enough of it to go around, right? But you know, you, you scream at the guy who cuts you off in traffic, even though he can't even hear you. 
You holler at your wife or your kids because something has, you know, angered you. Basically, you just kind of lose your temper and you unload, you know, with both barrels on someone. Now, as I said, this isn't really revenge per se, but oftentimes we think it's going to make us feel a little better if we at least let them know what we thought about the situation. Now, let me ask you this morning, how often do you lose your temper or, or you act or say something that you would not normally do if Jesus was literally standing right next to you? We've all done it, right? A nationwide survey reported that on average, women lose their temper about three times a week. So about three times a week, we men, we just, we can't be found. We just disappear. No, just kidding. But this same survey found that men lose their, temp, lose their temper an average of six times a week. On average. That's just the average. Some of you may be way above that. Maybe you are overachievers in the area of expressing your anger. Rate yourself today. See where you fall into that. The third common way that we respond to anger is we can displace our anger. This is where we take our anger out on someone else, someone who's not even part of the situation, completely innocent of the situation. You ever had that happen? Maybe you had a really lousy, lousy day at work. Your boss yelled at you, and man, you are just so upset, and you go home, and you, you yell at your spouse over something really trivial, and you get upset, you holler at one of the kids, and the kid go out, goes outside, and he kicks the dog. That whole scenario is very unfair, isn't it? I mean, the poor dog got kicked because you got hollered at by your boss. It doesn't even make sense, but it happened, right? That is displaced anger. When we take our anger out on someone or something that had nothing to do with the situation. Ecclesiastes 7.9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Who's ever been a fool? Man, that's what anger does to it. It makes us foolish. So if you ever have someone saying to you, man, why, why are you taking this out on me? You are probably dealing with some displaced anger if you've ever heard that sentence. The fourth and fifth ways that we respond to anger is we either repress it or we suppress it. Now, those two words sound very similar, but there is a difference. When we repress our anger, we hold it inside. The anger is definitely there. I mean, it's rising up, you know, and, and, but we're holding it back. We're gritting our teeth. Well, our stomach is nodding up, we pace back and forth, or, or maybe we just sit down and we don't say anything because we know if we open our mouth, it's going to blow. So we repress it. That's what repressing anger is. Now, suppressing anger means this. We try to convince ourselves that the anger's not even there. 
Not even real. We just, uh, no, I'm not angry, but really you are angry. But you're trying your best to convince yourself everything's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, and life goes on, but you never really deal with what hurt you or angered you, and yet you find yourself a lot of times upset about things, but you really don't know why you're so touchy. It's probably to do with suppressing some stuff in your life, not facing it, not dealing with it. Now, the deal with anger is this. If you allow even a little bit of anger to settle into your heart and you don't deal with it, eventually that anger grows into resentment, which grows into bitterness, and eventually it resurfaces to not only hurt you, but it's going to hurt people around you. We have to be relentless in our lives to make sure that we weed out every little bit of anger that we experience or else it's going to cause damage in our life. It's what anger does. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry. How many of you like that verse? Be angry. I'm down with that. But uh, there's no period at the end of be angry. There's a comma. That means always something coming, right? Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. I tell you, it took me a long time to smarten up in our marriage because sometimes my wife, Jan and I, we'd get into some little tiff and we would just go to bed, and I'd go to bed and, and act like I had gone to sleep real fast because I didn't want to deal with it, I didn't want to talk about it, and I just thought maybe we'll wake up in the morning and the whole thing would just be gone. Is there a guy here that even knows what I'm talking about? We just, you know, we tried to pull that, and it's not, it never going to happen. And, and if I laid there long enough, it might be 2 in the two in morning or, or something, and all of a sudden I'd hear, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> And then we'd talk about it, and it'd all get resolved. But now it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm tired the next day. So finally, finally, after several years of marriage, I smartened up enough to know that, yeah, you know, if there's something going on, we, we need to talk about it now instead of at 3 o'clock in the morning. Aren't I smart? Actually, my wife is the smart one because she would always be the one that says, no, we're going to talk about this. I'm just trying to act like it, it doesn't even exist. So she's the smart one. But I, her, some of her smartness has rubbed off a little bit and helped me get a little bit smarter. So God is telling us, don't let anger even get any foothold in your life. Stop making excuses for your anger. A lot of times when we get angry, the first thing we look for is a good excuse, right? We have to justify why we're so angry. And sometimes people will say something dumb like, well, listen, you just don't understand. Uh, you don't understand until you've walked a mile in my shoes. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I want to go on record as saying, I hate it when somebody walks a mile in my shoes. Because when that happens, it means two things. One, now they're a mile away from me. And two, they've got my shoes. <laughs> hate it when that happens. I'm glad Carol enjoyed that. (laughs) We have to stop making excuses and be accountable for our anger. And we have to learn to let that anger motivate us to do good 
not something sinful. That's the whole key here. So we, we're, we talked about the five most common ways that people respond to their anger. They either satisfy it, they express it, they displace it, they repress it, or suppress it. None of, of which are, are good ways to deal with our anger. None of these ways are doing us any favors or helping us. Here is God's plan of how we are supposed to deal with anger. You ready? Four words. Give it to Him. That is God's plan in a nutshell of how we deal with anger. We give it to Him. And when we do that, He's able to then speak into our hearts and we can do something good and positive out of that emotion of anger. But how many of you know, unless you allow Him to speak to you, Nothing good is going to come out of that anger. As long as we hang on to it ourselves, only bad stuff's going to happen. So the first thing we have to do is we have to give it to Him. Unresolved anger or having that short fuse is a real spiritual issue in our life, and God wants to relieve us of that. But we have, the key is we have to hand it over to Him. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. That burden could certainly be anger. And I will give you rest. Amen? Now keep in mind that this series is all about replacing harmful things in our life with positive things. Sinful things in our life with godly things in our life. Jesus never just says, hey, I, I want you to stop being angry and, and that's it. But rather, he tells us, just bring all your baggage, bring that anger to me, and let me replace that stuff with joy and patience and peace in your life. That's three things you never have when you're angry, by the way. You never have peace, you never have joy, and you never have patience. Not when you're angry. But that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. But he doesn't do it until we first give these things over to him. Amen? We have to take that step. So this morning, I want to finish uh, this message out by having us look at three steps to giving this anger over to God. Step number one is we have to stop and we have to figure out what triggers our anger. You know, the trigger on a gun is a very small part of that weapon, but when you pull it, boy, does it cause a lot of commotion, right? can even be deadly. The key in controlling our anger is to know what it is that usually triggers that anger so we can be ready, we can be prepared to keep it in check, or even better yet, just avoid the situation entirely when we know what triggers our anger. Jesus teaches us that some anger triggers are positive things. You see an injustice, and I mean, bam, you just want to make it right. That's, a, that's a, a good anger trigger, but we have to be honest with ourselves this morning. Most of the time, our anger is not triggered by injustice. Most of the time, our anger is triggered by selfishness. You go, who's glad you came to church today? Most of the time. 
our anger is triggered by selfishness. For instance, are you more easily angered over the fact that thousands of unborn babies are killed every day, or do you actually react more uh, violent and angry over the fact that a guy in front of you in the 10-item or less lane has 23 items? I think that's a valid question. What causes you more internal strife? A guy with 13 extra items or the fact that thousands of unborn innocent babies are killed daily? Well, that makes you stop and think, doesn't it? We should all be praying, Lord, help me, help me direct my anger to positive things. You know, I think if we are completely honest with ourselves, we have to admit that most of the time, our anger issues are usually about us. Not usually about God and injustice, but more than likely about us. Not all the time. I'm saying a lot of the time. So let's start to identify these triggers in our life. Certain people situations, uh, whatever it is that sets us off. And let's begin to pray earnestly that God help me control anger in this area of my life. You know, we live in a very fast-paced world, and most people today share a common anger trigger, which is impatience. We've almost been trained to be impatient in life. You know, we don't want to wait in line. We don't want to wait in traffic. We especially don't want to wait on the phone. And anger rises up when we call a number and we start to hear some uh, automated voice say, if you would like directions to the store or store hours, press one. If you would like to hear your balance, press two. If you are experiencing a technical problem and you would like to speak with someone in a foreign country that you will not be able to understand, press three. If you have a complaint of any type and you would like to talk to a real person that actually speaks English, simply press 113-4385-442, then press the pound button six times, followed by pushing the, the star button until you hear the beep and input your 16-digit customer service identification number, which has never actually been issued to you. Anybody here want to guess what one of my triggers are? Getting to the human being is one of my triggers. I just want to talk to a real human being. That's all I want. But getting there is tough. That's a big one for me. Impatience. What's yours? Just be honest with yourself. Identify it and admit that it's there and just begin to ask God to begin to help you deal with it in a positive way. Simply identifying your anger trigger is not enough. You have to identify it, and then you have to deal with it. You know, any time that you are exploding with anger, it's never because someone else pulled the trigger. If you are exploding with anger, it's always because you pulled the trigger. Proverbs 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. If you lose your temper, you're not even a sensible person. How do I know? The Bible tells me. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. In other words, people with good sense retain their anger. They are able to control it. And knowing what 
sets you off is a big part of that in avoiding that. Step number two in giving our anger to God is pause and pray. Pause and pray. A lot of times we overlook this step, right? And we immediately jump to pulling the trigger. As soon as you feel that anger or that temper building up, just stop right there and pray. Because how many of you know this to be true? One of the toughest things in the world to do is to do something really jerky when you're right in the middle of praying to God. Man, that's tough. Thomas Jefferson said, if you're angry, stop and count to 10. If you're very angry, count to 100. If you are still angry, continue counting. That's what he said. And there's a lot of wisdom in just stopping what we're doing. When we react to anger, it's, it's almost always out of emotion. It's rarely out of our intellect or out of our righteous indignation. Rarely out of righteousness. It's usually out of emotion. So just taking a pause can be a real diffuser in our life. Maybe you need to kindly excuse yourself and just leave the room for a few minutes. Maybe you just need to shut your mouth before something flies out that you're not going to be able to correct. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. We all know that's true, right? How do we know that's true? Because we've all done it. Pausing helps us to avoid saying the things we are going to regret. But simply pausing is not enough either. Pausing might keep you from saying something stupid, but it doesn't remove the anger, and that is where prayer comes in. Prayer, you cannot talk to God earnestly and not he not reach in and just begin to ease that pain and frustration and aggravation in you it's just when you earnestly speak to God he does that in our life you don't have to pray something eloquent just man just pray something short and simple God help me maintain right now God help me Lord help me just keep my mouth shut because you know what I want to say and you know I shouldn't say it a lot of times we think we don't, aren't held accountable for anything that we don't say. That's not true. We're held accountable for things we don't say just because we thought it, and He knows we're thinking it. So just pray, God, forgive me of what I'm thinking and help me not to say it. That's a good prayer, don't you think? There's incredible power in learning the discipline of silence. Silence isn't golden for nothing. There's a reason. Every day, spend some time learning the, dis the discipline of silence. Spend some time in prayer where you take a few minutes and you just listen for God to speak to you rather than you do all the speaking. Learn the discipline of silence. Meditate on one or two short verses of Scripture and just ask God to speak, speak to you through those. It's important. Now, brings us to step number three. This is a very very unpopular step among the humans. How many humans do we have here this morning? It's almost unanimous. The humans do not like this step. It's a very unpopular step. And that step is this. 
Leave the vengeance to God and you respond with love. How many of you love step number three? No, nobody loves step number three, right? Nobody likes this stuff, especially if you are really, uh, if your anger is somewhat justified. You know, sometimes we are angry over something that somebody really was wrong in doing. And we justify that anger. Somebody treated us really badly or cheated you out of something or, or lied to you or who knows what. But here's the deal. It's all beside the point. It's all beside the point. My question is this this morning. How, how badly does someone have to hurt you before it is then okay to lash out in anger? What does someone have to do to you before, well, this is just unavoidable. I've just got to lash out in anger. There's no other resolve here. What is that point for you? What is that, what is that level? How about this? How about if they were driving thorns into your skull? and maybe ripping flesh off of your back, and then topping that off by driving spikes through your hands and nails until you hung on a cross and died. Would that, be, would that do the trick? Surely that sounds like something that would justify some lashing back, doesn't it? I mean, how much are we supposed to take, right? The answer is, as much as Jesus took. When people treat us badly, it's very hard for us to give that over to God. And one, one reason is this. Sometimes this makes us look so selfish, but it, I'm sure we've all experienced it. One of the big reasons it is hard to give our anger over to someone, over to God, over someone who has really done something horrible to us is that if we give it over to God, God just might end up forgiving that person of their sin. I tell you, I know about this firsthand. I spent a few years of my life dealing with this exact issue. I had a beautiful, most of you have heard this story, a beautiful, beautiful Christian sister. I mean, she was just almost angelic. She read her Bible every day. She kept a journal. We found this all after she had passed away. My name was usually at the top of her daily prayer list. <laughs> Thank the Lord. And she was brutally murdered in the process of offering Christian counseling to, to this guy. He strangled her to death. And he went to prison. And I was so glad he went to prison. I wanted him to get the death penalty, but he didn't. He went to prison. And then several years, about six or seven years into his prison sentence, word got back to us that he had gotten saved and he was working in the chaplaincy department. And of course, as a Christian, my first reaction was, praise God, he got saved. He's going to heaven. Right? I will say I was not a pastor at the time. No, that wasn't my reaction. That should be our reaction, right? I'm just going to tell you, be completely transparent. Man, I was hacked off. I thought, well, isn't this just great? This guy goes and asks for forgiveness. God forgives him, and now he's going to end up in the same heaven I am. When the reality is, unless I do something about my attitude, he's going to be in heaven, and I won't. That is the exact truth, right? I was hacked off that this guy supposedly, I don't know, I've never talked to him since, but that, I thought, well, isn't that just like it? This guy deserves to burn in hell for eternity. He goes and asks forgiveness, and Jesus forgives him. Jesus, I don't think you know exactly what this guy did. 
Anyone ever dealt with stuff like that? It took me a while to get over that. I had to work through that one. Because sometimes we feel out of selfishness that God's justice is not always just when it affects us, right? You know, these people need to be taught a lesson. Well, if we turn it over to God, they might just ask forgiveness and get saved from their sins, and that is not really what we want. Because we're hauling some, we're hauling some anger around that we're not getting rid of. And why is that so dangerous? Why is that so deadly? I tell you, a lot of times it's deadly to us. Because God says if we don't forgive everyone we know of something they need to be forgiven of, we can't be forgiven. Thereby, hauling this anger and unforgiveness around has just condemned ourselves to death. You see how important it is to deal with these anger issues? A lot of times, the person we're condemning to death is ourself. Something to think about. But that's why we don't like to turn it over to God. Sometimes we prefer to take care of things ourselves, right? Paul wrote in the 12th chapter of Romans some words that are very easy to read, they, but they, I'm telling you, are some of the hardest words in the world to actually live by. Romans 12, 19-21. Dear friends, never take revenge. Well, that just kind of took the fun out of everything right there, didn't it? My friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they thirst, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now see, that's easy to say, but not all that easy to do, is it? When we insist on taking revenge for ourselves, what we're telling God, we're, we're basically saying this. We're saying, look, God, I, I know this is supposed to be your job, and I tell you, if it involved anybody other than myself, I'd go ahead and let you handle this. But since it involves me, I'm just afraid you're not going to take care of this the way I want it taken care of. That's what we're telling God, like we know better. Stop and consider this for just a moment. The main reason that we lash out or strike back at someone who has hurt us is because we want to make sure they see the error of their ways, right? Well, treating people with kindness is much more likely to be successful than cussing somebody out. Punch them in the face. Giving them the finger as you drive by them. That sounds vulgar. I don't mean to be vulgar, but I'm just living in the real world here. Is there anyone who has not had someone drive by you and given you some sign language? Did that solve anything? Or did that create a little, oh, I'm going I'm to catch back up with that dude. I'll tell you, I'm going to cut him off, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. When Jesus was brutalized at the end of his life on earth, he did not retaliate. He didn't threaten anyone. He didn't cuss at anyone. He just left all that vengeance to God, didn't he? And look what was being done to him. Unspeakable. Unspeakable. When you respond to mistreatment in your life with kindness, it is not a sign of weakness. It is the ultimate sign of strength. Amen? The ultimate side. Maybe you're having a hard time feeling close to God today. You say, you know, I'm going to go to church. I'm paying my tithes. I'm in a Wednesday night life group. But when I pray, I just feel distant from God. Maybe there is some 
hurtful situation in your life. And you've just been refusing to deal with it. Maybe some people that you need to apologize to. Maybe some people you need to offer forgiveness to. And maybe that person won't even accept your apology. You know what? That's okay. That is not your problem. That becomes their problem. But by being obedient and doing these things, you not only repair the relationship with that person, you repair your relationship with God. The ultimate relationship. There's a lot of people that have some anger issues. God wants you to know that there is complete and perfect hope for you. He offers it. He extends it. He wants to take the sin of anger out of your life and replace it with patience and kindness and forgiveness. That's what he wants to replace it with. The first step is just making peace with others and making peace with God. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.